Welcome to The Rock's podcast. Living in a fallen world and having to deal with our own brokenness, we are always needing spiritual renewal. And that's the theme of the book of Ezra. After 70 years in captivity, it's time for the people of God to return home where the first priority will be the worship of God and the rebuilding of the temple. Now let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through the book of Ezra. All right, good evening again. You know, I have to say about, there's not too many good things you can say about anything stolen, except the stolen that's out there that we're eating. Oh my word. I don't even know if you say it that way, do you? Who's German? Who made the stolen? Who stole the stolen? Who made that? It's stolen, right? Okay, stolen. Oh, one of those things. Stolen. All right, okay. (laughs) All right, let us dive into the Word of God, Ezra chapter 3. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your presence here, and thank you for the living Word of God that doesn't have its origin in any man. Lord, we know it's the scriptures are God-breathed, and so, Lord, you have life for us and blessing and correction. You're going you're gonna to show us the way to be blessed and how we should live to worship you, Lord, and how you go about rebuilding, renewing, and restoring our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, I was grabbing a quick cup of coffee before running out the door and watching the local news. And of all things, they were showing one of the home sites burned to the ground here in Santa Rosa. And uh, uh, the effort at cleaning up and starting to rebuild. And it looked something like what you're looking at exactly. One man with mounds of rubble, just one guy with a shovel, just poking through, and, and, and it's the cleanup, it's the rebuild. And, and there was one you know, power shovel slowly excavating the lot. And I just thought, wow, in the midst of such enormous mounds of rubble, what a daunting task and so overwhelming. It just seems impossible for me to imagine not only all of that gone, but a brand new home and green grass and landscape property and kids playing in the sprinkler on the front yard. I just can't, I know it can happen, but just one guy with a shovel, you know, it just seems like I, if I was that guy, I would be pretty discouraged, you know. Now, here in the opening chapters of Ezra, thank you for that picture. Um, I think many who returned from modern day Iraq which was ancient day Babylon, where the Jews were exiled because their Jerusalem had been burnt to the ground. But in keeping with God's promise, as you've been seeing every week here, he promised to bring them back, and now they're back. And here in Ezra chapter 3, it's time to rebuild. 
They've got their hazmat suits on and one shovel, as it were. And, you know, I think that they felt overwhelmed. And you know what? I know that they felt overwhelmed. And I know the, the governor, Zerubbabel is his name, I know for a fact that he was totally stunned by the massive endeavor that what lied before, was lying before them. How do I know that? Well, the word of the Lord brought a famous scripture or two his way through the prophet Zechariah. Now, many of you will recognize these two verses because they're famous, but you have no idea the context of them was standing there in the face of the rubble, needing to rebuild, knowing they needed to rebuild, and just feeling overwhelmed. Here's the famous scriptures in the context of Ezra chapter three and four. This is out of Zechariah because Zechariah is alive with those guys. He's their contemporary. He's talking to them. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. So the Holy Spirit is stirring up Zechariah to go talk to Zerubbabel on sight. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Did you connect that with the rebuilding of the temple? We quote that one all the time. I think that that's on the bottom of an in-and-out uh, french fries, you know? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure everybody gets that. Uh, what are you, almighty mountain of rubble? <laughs> the rebar exposed and all the, all the mounds of debris? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the final stone to shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Who despises the day of small beginnings? Really, in another translation, it does say, do not despise the day of small beginnings. Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line. A plumb line is the, uh, to, to, in building to get a vertical line straight. They hang a weight from a rope and it kind of is a measuring tool. Men will rejoice when they see this plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. So, thank you for that. Zechariah, in the context here, it comes to our friend Zerubbabel and to Joshua the high priest and just said, hey, you know what? No worries. You've got a monumental task in front of you. Do not be put off by this task. So really there are two points here as we dive in to the task of rebuilding. Uh, number one, he says in that prophecy, this work will be accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit, not you. And, and whenever you're facing a daunting task and something has gone terribly wrong and you need to rebuild, and it's spiritual in nature especially, I'll tell you what, it is not by your willpower or your effort or by any other human means. It's ultimately by the spirit of the Lord. So he says, trust God. And secondly, don't, don't be intimidated by your limited resources, your modest effort, your tall resistance and the abundant setbacks because that's what we're going to see because when God's in the mix and he wants that to be restored and you're cooperating, he will bring that work to completion whether it is a broken home 
or a broken heart. He rebuilds our lives. So cheer up you who have big challenges facing you down. If God is for you, who could be against you? So it's time to check out the Hebrew smalls, small beginnings here in chapter three, verses one through three. <clears throat> when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled as one man in Jerusalem. Then Jeshua, there's another spelling, Joshua also, he's called son of Josedek, uh, and his fellow priests and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates began to build the altar of God of Israel, the God of Israel, to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar first before the foundation on its foundation, the former foundation. They found it and they built it again and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices, which the law of Moses required. All right. And so they're going to do things scripturally here. So let's pause. No tickers. Time to rebuild. If you're wanting a heading there, time to rebuild. So the day of small beginnings has arrived. And it sounds to me like nobody is despising it <clears throat> or despairing, uh, but rather they're inspired. And they're, despite, it says, the intimidation level or factor from the hostile opposition, here, my friends, is the very first uh, instance of the Samaritan hostility with the Jews because the people here who are going to be causing the problems who live in the area are Samaritans. <clears throat> I told you last time that the Samaritans have their origin in uh, having the, the North was taken and replaced with foreign workers. And those foreign workers were Assyrians and they married the Jews and they produced Samaritans. And so the people living there that are not really cool with the Jews coming in and rebuilding the temple are really the Samaritans. But in spite of this, uh, they, it, the day is here to begin the restoration. And so it's time to begin. Three months have passed since they arrived back from a 900 mile, four month journey from Baghdad area uh, all the way to Jerusalem. So verse one says it's the holidays because it's Tishri in the Hebrew. Tishri is month um, of September and October. It doesn't match up exactly with one month because they are lunar months. And so it's September, October. And of course, the sovereign hand of God would pick the holidays which is a little ironic because you image it's a, you imagine that they're standing at Christmas time and Thanksgiving for them, right? And they're standing in front of the piles of rubble, which is so weird for our timing because it is the holidays and, and we are standing 40 homes in our congregation and where you're driving. Next, one house has Christmas lights and, and then it looks like a bomb went off in the entire neighborhood. And so, but God in his wisdom caused them to rebuild and to face this task during the, the month that is jammed full of holidays. Rosh Hashanah is in Tishri, the seventh month as it says here. Yom Kippur, the day of atonement 
is in the seventh month and the Feast of Tabernacles. All of those have just heartwarming memories and not only memories, but they teach, they remind of God's faithfulness and all of these beautiful things of hope. And so it was the perfect time uh, to come together as one. Now, uh, notice that it says they come together. There's 42,000 plus of them and they're doing what the law of Moses said. They come to Jerusalem for the holidays. Well, they're already there, but they're there in an excited way now because not only did the law of Moses say, hey, you gotta come for the holidays, but they're there to rebuild that temple. And um, the holidays are gonna inspire the hope and the comfort, and they can see past the rubble into the promises of God. I just like how God just sets everything up to help us, you know? So it says Joshua, the lead pastor, Zerubbabel is the governor, right? You know, two little things that you don't know that are really uh, very, um, I think, interesting. Joshua, the lead pastor now, is the grandson of Sariah, who was the high priest when King Nebuchadnezzar came in 70 years earlier. He put the high priest to death. And guess who? The, the, the high priest now, Joshua, is his grandson. So, so the Lord is like, I, I'm bringing the people back. I'm bringing the bloodline back. I'm going to bring the, the altar back. I'm going to bring my will for Jerusalem back. And by the way, I told you this is a Rubabel. Also, the new governor is the grandson of Jeconiah. Jeconiah was the king who, when Nebuchadnezzar came in, he killed the high priest, but he kept Jeconiah, the king of Judah, alive and deported him to Babylon. And now it's his grandson that comes back to be governor, but he's in the royal line of kings. And so here's what I got out of this. The, the Lord, I love Proverbs 21.30. It says, there's no wisdom, no insight, no plan that can ever succeed against the Lord. God will make Jerusalem. He will restore Jerusalem no matter what. Even if Jerusalem has no wall, has no temple, has no Jews, God says, I'm gonna bring my Messiah through these people and Jerusalem's gonna be the capital, not only of Israel, but of the coming kingdom, the kingdom that you all pray for, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That kingdom will be ruled from Jerusalem. Now, in today's news, in today's news, not yesterday, not tomorrow, but today, you see the spirit of God working through a superpower called the United States, who is acknowledging what has always been true biblically and always true in every heart over there in Israel because in 1948, Israel became a nation. In 1949, they declared Jerusalem their capital. But everybody else said, oh no, because of the wars and all of this, no, we're not gonna recognize that. So 86 countries have their embassies in Tel Aviv. In 1995, the president then, uh, Congress passed a law that, that, that said, we are going to help fund Israel, move the embassy 
and the capital from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. So it's been on the books since 1995, and every president that comes in kind of kicks the can a little further, and you know, we don't want to touch a hot potato. But this guy who's in office, he lives for hot potatoes. <laughs> so he got a hot potato in this, and so he, he declares what Jesus Christ declares is, is that this is the city of the great king. That's what Jesus calls it. Right, So it doesn't matter how big the pile of rubble, if God is saying, I'm going to bring, the Lord Jesus is going to appear in a human body and walk the temple mount and teach in the courts. And the church will be born in the upper room and they'll meander down to the southern steps of that temple that they are laying the new foundation for. And they will baptize 3,000 brothers and sisters in the Lord, the church. Yes, and it doesn't stop there because there'll be a third temple built there by the Antichrist and he will go in there and proclaim himself God and then the Lord Jesus Christ will come and destroy him with the breath of his mouth and, and redo that temple and it says in the scriptures, Isaiah chapter two and Zechariah 14, that he will take his place seated on a throne there in a glorious temple in Jerusalem. So not only is it the capital of the nation, it will be the capital of thy kingdom come. And, and there is nothing anyone in the entire universe can do about that, amen? Just saying, just saying. All right, so all that to say, Zerubbabel, Joshua, chill out. Yeah, I, it, the, the prophets are coming and saying, don't worry, don't despise the day of small efforts because God is in it. So whatever God is in, in your life, that just seems like, oh, this would take a miracle. Jesus goes, oh, perfect. Because <laughs> I'm pretty good at those. I'm pretty good at those. All right, let's go on here. So, so, uh, the altar gets built first. This is pretty important, verse two. Uh, and there's only like 11 verses. Don't worry. Some of you start to panic already. I, I, don't worry. I, I pick up. I will, I promise. But don't miss this. The altar gets rebuilt first. Let me show you a picture of what I'm talking about. This is all gone. And they're going to go not here, not to the foundation. They're going to go here. And they're going to rebuild. They found the foundation for this. It says in your text. And they're going to rebuild this. Why? Why start there? <laughs> well, what good? Is, this is where God meets man. This is where your sins are forgiven. This is where you would bring an animal, an innocent animal. And, and the burnt offerings would be representing this, that you would go before the priest and say, I've sinned, and you put your hands on, on the animal's head. You confess your sins onto the innocent bystander, as it were, and that animal is slaughtered there. And it's there that God meets you and pronounces forgiveness to the common man. Only the priests go inside the temple so this is the place that they're going to go first because they're going to say, what good is a brand new temple, shiny and bright and new, 
if your heart is not right with God. They've had 70 years of wandering. They did some pretty horrific things to deserve the chastisement of Nebuchadnezzar coming in and leveling the place and taking all the Jews away. So they need to get their hearts right. And before any restoration or rebuilding ever will happen in your life, you must start with your heart and at the cross where your sins are forgiven, where there's repentance and turnaround and renouncing shameful ways that got you in the trouble that you were in. Not always, not all trouble comes about as our own sin, but the place of renewal must start first at the altar and the our altar is there 24-7 to get right with God. So, I mean, you can fill in the blank. One, one writer put it this way, F.B. Meyer, 1800s. I love these old school guys. This is the first thing that must be done before our temple building or other undertaking can be crowned with success. The new start that God himself gives us will be invalid without the altar which means forgiveness for the past and renewed devotion to God for the future. Uh, So what good is your new job, right? If you're still doing the same things that cost you to lose the career in the first place. What good is the new marriage? What good is the new marriage? If you haven't had a heart change, If you're still a philanderer or womanizer or drug user or whatever it was, I'm talking to husband or wife. What good is jumping into something else and rebuilding? I got a new life. But you're the old on the inside. That's why they go to the altar first. Right heart will will bring an industrious life too. And then they start building and they're getting excited. And so... It's time to move on. Four through six. Then, when the seventh month came, whoops, four, yeah, thank you. (laughs) I thought I recognized that. (laughs) Then, in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. After that, they presented the regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifices, and the sacrifices for all the appointed sacred feasts of the Lord, as well as those brought as free will offerings to the Lord. So you see a lot of worship service, a lot of this happening. Verse 6, on the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. And we've been talking about that. So... Uh, with the altar now in place so, and their hearts are right, time to rebuild. That was the first heading. Now it's time to celebrate. Listen, there's a lot of joy here. There's a lot of eating. There's a lot of feasting. There's a lot of Jewish dancing. You know, the da 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 Okay. You want me to do that some more? <laughs> Not really. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And I'll tell you what, when you're right with God, when you feel God smile, that you can't think of one thing that's between you and the Savior. You're not perfect, but you just, you're just trying to walk with God and love him, and you sense that he's happy, and you're forgiven, and that blood cleanses you. There's 
nothing like that kind of joy. And that's what you're seeing in the text. It's time to congregate. It's time to worship. It's time to eat. It's time to sing. And I don't know if you know this, but the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's another context from right here. Now, here's what happened. When Nehemiah comes around, and Ezra's still alive because he's in the text that I'm talking about now, uh, they are going to finish the wall after they finish the temple. And in the dedication service, they're going to be reading scriptures about how the Lord expected his people to behave. And they're going to be cut to the heart. They're going to feel terrible, and they're going to start crying. And so Nehemiah's going to say, no, 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 no. No, stop crying, stop crying. We'll stop reading right now. (laughs) Uh, And here's what it says in Nehemiah chapter eight. Then Nehemiah and Ezra said, don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping because they listened to the words of the law, the Old Testament. Nehemiah continued, go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and gifts to one another. It's kind of like proclaiming Christmas. And then he says, this is a sacred day before the Lord. Don't be dejected and sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And there's another famous scripture that you had no idea, or I forgot as well, that it's tied together with this whole rebuilding of Jerusalem after terrible devastation. He's saying, listen, when you're walking right with God and God's answering your prayers and you're in fellowship with him, this joy of new moon sacrifices. See, they had daily morning and evening sacrifices in the temple. Then they had the weekly Sabbath. And then they had a monthly on the first day of the new month. As soon as you could see a sliver of the moon, just a sliver, they would send out like fire signals on the mountains that the, from Jerusalem that the new moon has been sighted. Just the sliver, right? And it was a time for a worship service to say, We're renewing. It's a new month. There's new mercies, right? But see, the morning and evening sacrifice reminded you that the morning was new with mercy. The evening was new with mercy. The morning was new. And then every Saturday, it was new and new consecration to the Lord. And then once a month and then annually. And so you see these kinds of things happening uh, sort of the way we do it as well. We have daily quiet times, don't we? We sense his presence. We're comforted by his love every day. Then we gather weekly to be reminded of the word of God and our uh, relationship with him and our obligation to our Lord. And we're inspired with hope through the word of God. Then there are free will offerings as well, just like in your text. Home fellowship groups, sharing God's love with one another, Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter and all of that. The joy of the Lord is what will carry you through your restoration, through your mound of, how am I going to get through these thoughts or this, this past or whatever it is? You all have something. I do. Everybody has stuff you're working on. What's going to carry you through is the joy that comes from being with God's people, being in his word, sensing his presence. There's nothing worse than nominal Christian living. It'll just drain you of all the joy and then you don't care about anything. So let the joy carry you is really what's going on here. Time to celebrate. Then we move on 
seven to nine, almost done. Then they gave money to the masons. It's time to rebuild now. They got the altar, right? And it's foundation time, and they're, they're getting serious now. The, the, the stone cutters and the carpenters and gave food and drink and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre, Lebanon, modern-day Lebanon, so that they would bring cedar logs by sea from Lebanon to Joppa as authorized by Cyrus, king of the then-known world. I mean, I mean, the whole map is that color. <laughs> Verse 8, in the second month of the second year after their arrival at the house of God in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the rest of their brothers, the priests and the Levites, and all who had returned from captivity to Jerusalem began the work appointing Levites 20 years of age and older to supervise the building of the house of the Lord. Joshua and his sons and brothers and Cadmiel and his, and his sons, descendants of Hodaviah and the sons of Henadad and their sons and brothers, all Levites, joined together in supervising those working on the house of God. I mentioned this last week, but the details of the names, the details just tell you, look, this is no myth. This really happened to real people. So it, we've seen a time to rebuild, a time to celebrate, and now a time to get busy, verses seven through nine. Now, you don't want to be so uh, heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. So it's time to get to work, to quarry out the rock, to be swinging some hammers. And as I said, a heart that's right with God is an industrious heart in as well. And so they get busy. So in addition to all the lay help that they have, they're going to hire the workers and kind of uh, look, hire out the, for the supplies that they need. Now, it's true that thousands of people were helping voluntarily. Uh, but here, they actually, and it's God's design, that for God's work, God's houses, as it were, churches and what have you. God requires tradesmen and craftsmen and builders and suppliers. In those scriptures, they're always paid. They're always paid like with money. Now, one writer put it this way. Since churches are nonprofits and are not in the business of making money, Somehow the temptation of receiving uh, something for nothing has crept into our thinking, not only into the church administration, but in the minds of God's people. Electricians, roofers, carpet cleaners, and builders who love the Lord are not to be presumed upon, but to be hired, contracted, contracted uh, and paid for services rendered. Now, if these guys said, hey, listen, I, the Lord touched my heart, I want to just do this for him, that's their business. But we must begin with serious intention for brothers and sisters in the Lord that can offer us services to go after them, to hire them, and to pay them, and not get an attitude when they actually agree when we say we want to hire you and pay you. And then when they give you a bill, you're going to have a good attitude about it. Amen? Amen? All right. I see you all got your thinking faces on. And that's always a good thing. Now, 
In this case, the hired stone workers and carpenters are paid money. Now, by Josh and Zerubbabel. Now, the foreign suppliers in Lebanon, they are going to be paid, and in those days, they paid uh, in ways like wheat, olive oil, wine, all valuable because they're the coastal cities there, about 200 miles up the coast, uh, from Joppa, at least, uh, are... It was not agrarian, and so it's near the coast, and so uh, they needed wheat and olive oil and wine. And so Israel kind of bartered for the cedars of Lebanon. Now, that's exactly what Solomon did 500 years earlier for the first temple. And so what they did was they'd ask Lebanon, hey, we'll pay you this much for this, these many logs. When they float them down, right? I think I have a map. I sent it over, a miracle. All right, so let me show you where Sidon and Tyre are. All right, so from here, they fell the logs and, and float them all the way down to Jaffa or Joppa. Now you'll notice, it's funny, it's from this airport in Beirut to where, where we'll be flying into in the area of Jaffa, Joppa, right there. And so what they did is they had ingenious ways of getting that lumber inland to Jerusalem. Uh, but so it made the trip down there. So just so you could just see, you know, what the whole deal is. And by the way, since I'm just meandering around, this is Israel, right? From starting from here down. Do you see what's called the West Bank? The reason it's called the West Bank is because it's the West Bank of the Jordan that splits through it, right? But this is what the Palestinians say is their land. So it is quite a large amount, not to mention this little strip over here called Gaza, right? And by the way, this is where the Philistines used to live, in Gaza, all right? And so this is the disputed area. And then when, you, when we're there, we, we, we're not even really allowed to go through there. We, we, do, we do zip in and out of some of the safer areas. But uh, generally speaking, um, people don't go through there unless you're a Palestinian. And so, yeah, just f since it's on the map there, something to know. Moving on. <laughs> All right, so they, they're getting busy and they're working now. And so Ezra adds that uh, Joshua here in verse seven and Zerubbabel, they don't have resources like Solomon. Did, did, did you know in today's money that Solomon built the temple for, I wrote it down, it's $5 billion today. Yeah, you do realize that Solomon was blessed like nobody else in the whole entire world. He was the richest man probably that ever lived. And, um, and so this is gonna tell you why they're a little disappointed at the small beginnings because they couldn't live up to uh, the old, uh, what the resources, but he does throw that in to say that they were funded by the royal treasuries. It says by King Cyrus. The word authorized there in the Hebrew means it can mean a grant. So they are supplying them some money. They're subsidizing the cost to rebuild Jerusalem is coming out of the royal treasuries in Babylon. 
that's pretty cool. I think that's pretty ingenious of the Lord. Like, uh, hey, we need some of that gold over there. So verse 8, they begin in the same month, the second month that Solomon began. Now, you know what, folks, for me, this is just a little one of those hugs from God. When God, by his sovereign timing, makes sure that they would know everything's going to start on the same month that Solomon started building. And they all know that. I just love how God does that. He likes to give little signs along the way. Like, oh, they all probably say, hey, okay, we're ready to go. And it just they just came into a new month and somebody says, it's the same month that Solomon started the first temple. And everybody shouts, hallelujah. That's how God is. He just times our lives. So we just kind of see a little nudge from the Holy Spirit just saying, I'm with you. I'm in this. You know, he does that. A a coincidence is a small miracle when God chooses to remain anonymous is what Einstein said. I had no idea. No wonder he's so smart. (laughs) My last doctor appointment for a horrendous two years or more of a cancer that could have killed me, I only had a 30% chance to survive. 30%, that's low. When he told me that, I said, well, you know, that's not too bad. He said, what do you mean that's not too bad? (laughs) And I said, well, out of a million people, that's 300,000. That's a lot of people. (laughs) And he just looked at me like you just looked at me. Like, okay, if that works for you. But I just thought, I pictured 300,000 people and thought, surely I'm in there. That's a lot of people. Okay, I left out the part out of the million. Right, yeah, so moving on. All right, so yeah, the physical work is going to be done now uh, with King Cyrus helping. But I just love that. Uh, oh, my last doctor's appointment, that's what I was telling you, was on my birthday. It was on my birthday. And as I walked out of the office and she said, you're cured, you're cured. You just go away. I don't need to see you anymore. It was on my birthday. And as I'm walking out of the office, I realized I'm never going to see my oncologist again. I was so happy. But I, I felt in my heart that the Lord said, as I left the clinic in Marin, happy birthday. And I never went back. It's been over 15 years. I never had another appointment for that thing again. But when when was the timing of it? Just to give me a little, hey, I'm with you. I'm in this. I'm the one who did that for you. You know, it was just kind of how he, be on the lookout for God. And don't easily dismiss things like that. He's trying to get through to you and give you a big hug and say, come on, we can do this. Amen? I'm getting encouraged. I don't know. I'm done here with this last paragraph. We are putting chapter 3 to bed. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests got all dressed up. They brought out their instruments. The Levites had their symbols. They took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by King David some 500 years earlier in the Psalms. Verse 11, with praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. 
He is good and his love to Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. It's just a foundation. Just, I don't know if you've seen a foundation. They're not very pretty. <laughs> Verse 12. But, and this may be it right here. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple, that makes them very old, <laughs> wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others... The youngins shouted for joy, or those who got over the past, right? Verse 13, no one could distinguish the sound of shouts for joy from the sound of weeping because it was so loud. So, and, and the a sound was heard far away. Uh, there you go. Uh, chapter uh, three is now a thing of the past, or a few more comments. So we saw time to build the altar. First things first, right? Get their hearts right. Then we saw time to celebrate. The joy of the Lord was their strength to face that daunting task. Then a time to work because right hearts with God make for industrious lives for his kingdom. And then finally now, a time to thank God. So a time to thank God, verses 10 through 13. All right, so the foundation now is laid and it's time to praise God and thank him. Even for just that little foundation. Now, I'm telling you what, I had a friend, he was a guy of means, he was an entrepreneur, and he uh, built a house in Petaluma. This is back 20 years ago. And he said, hey, we laid the foundation, I want you to come out and see it. Now I had seen the former house, it wasn't on that site, it was somewhere else. It was, wow, right? So I came out to see the foundation, they were having a little party, and I looked at it and I went, whoa, what happened? Where, oh, you're downsizing. You know, no, 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 no. It wasn't a downsize. The foundation is just deceptive. It is just, just looked so small and contained and gray <laughs> and cement with little things sticking up, right? And he's like, whoa, look at this, look at it. And I was like, yeah, wow. <laughs> A lot of cement, and it was not big. I was so surprised. But when the house got there, yikes. It was ginormous. I don't know how that works. I mean, spatially. It just was very surprising. And this is what partially is going on here. They lay the foundation, right? So at first it says there's a worship service. Somebody wrote, thankfulness is fitting, and praise to God is a duty, but nothing heals and liberates our souls like expressing love and gratitude to God. Oh, you know, lately I just find myself in some places where I'm alone, nobody's around, and I can express myself to the Lord and just kind of tell him, you know, you know, it's, it's embarrassing because it's like, you know, that I love him and I'm thankful, but in ways that are personal. And, and uh, I tell you how much healing and how much insight you get from that instead of just going through life, going through the motions. Stop. Thank him. Hey, there's a little bit of progress somewhere. You see a little foundation of some, something. 
to stop and praise and thank him. So the priests, they're blowing trumpets, these little beaten silver horns that are described and uh, for joyous occasions. And they come out. Let me show you what they're wearing. Uh, they're all dressed up. And so the high priest alone would wear this colorful thing. And every last thing, I wish we had time, because it all points to Christ and to Christian salvation. It's just incredible. It's a great study. I could spend a whole hour. You know I could, right, <laughs> on this. And so uh, the other dudes, they wore this, the Levites. They just wore the, 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 they were allowed, the Levites were allowed to help. They were the associate pastors, right? But they couldn't be the head guy. Right, And so the, this is what, they came out with the trumpets and the cymbals and they looked like this. So it was a real festive occasion. You can put the scripture back. Here are some helpful insights. Uh, number one, only the Levites and the priests were allowed to minister. No, nobody else. Nobody else was allowed to uh, actually build within the temple. Nobody else was allowed to lead the worship. Only the Levites. And that bothered a lot of people. And you see that through the scriptures, all right? And here's the New Testament application really, really quick. Just because you have a desire or a talent to be in the ministry doesn't make it so. God said in the Old Testament, there are callings and there are qualifications. And in the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 3, 16 prerequisites. Not for a perfect guy, but for an evidence of a calling in moral, spiritual qualifications, in family life, in marriage, in, in raising children, in personal self-control, in relational skills with people, with uh, personal integrity and spiritual maturity. Those are the categories. And so that's just one application here. Just you'll see the Levites can do this and nobody else, right? Because it's a calling. Right, People could help, but there were certain things that only uh, those men could do. Now, so the notice, and, and it's sort of abbreviated, their song, I just want to point it out, because of course it's abbreviated, it's one line, but I just love two undisputable things regarding God in their song. Number one, he is good. They've just been through hell and back for 70 years, right? And, and they just want to say, we're the problem. We're going to start out with a foundation. We're going to rebuild something. This costs us a lot of money, a lot of time. We left our homes. We've got some hostility. We've got some problems, but we just want to say God is good. His intentions are right. He has done nothing wrong in this whole thing. Not like Naomi, who comes back into town and blames God for everything. Call me Mara, call me bitter, because God has made me bitter. Wow. That's not what their song is. Their song is to just say, number one, no matter how we feel, <laughs> he is good. And then no matter how we feel, his love endures forever. No matter how we feel. How could you feel? I mean, after you said your grandfather was murdered by this dude. And you've been through all of this stuff and Jerusalem's all flattened out and they want to sing your good and your love endures forever. That's the right attitude. Listen, somebody at the gym, just the other day, it was a miracle, I went to the gym. Uh, 
and, and, and another miracle. No, uh, I was talking to somebody, uh, a Christian, who, and the subject of the fires came up. And they said, uh, I really struggle with what God allows in the devastation. And I said, do you struggle with what he allowed on the cross? I'm not trying to have an attitude about it, but I just want you to remember who that was. That was the only begotten son of God who he allowed to take the wrath of God so that the world wouldn't be condemned. Do you consider that? Listen, long story short, when you want to judge God, do not do it by the evidence of our sinful choices and how we wrecked the place, all right? But judge him by what he allowed his son to go through so that he would come down into the mess we made, into the train wreck, and let the train run over him as well, and then show us the way out of the train wreck. That's how I judge God. I don't, I don't look around and say, uh, look at what God has done. I look around at what man has done, what the devil has done, what sin has done, right? And so that's just the song. In spite of the rubble, I'm standing here on Christmas and I'm singing to the, the, the ashes. Maybe there was a loss of life there. I mean, terrible things. But that doesn't mean God is not good. God is good and he loves me. This isn't heaven. This is a train wreck. And he's delivering us out of the train wreck. Amen? Now, notice as we wrap up now, not everybody's singing for joy. The old guys. You don't know, okay? Oy they. You don't know what the other temple looked like. You call this a foundation, and you know what? It was three times as big, and it was, where's the Ark of the Covenant? Where's the rod of Aaron that budded? Where's the jar of manna? Where's the Ark, right? Where are all these things? You've lost it. And listen, that when you take a walk on the wild side like they did, there are some things that will never be the same. I'm sorry, you can't fix some things. So the marriage, the kids, the happy intact home, the career, your health. There are some things, yes, God can restore, but you'll look at the foundation and go, you know, you might be weeping or, or, or laughing or crying tears of joy at that wedding, but nobody really knows. Because the former, the former was better maybe. Yeah, he's moving you along and he's giving you all kinds of stuff. But just have to think I can go do whatever I want and then God will just fix it because he's a restorer. That's his job. He's a rebuilder. No. There are some things that we're going to have to live through and wait until the fullness is revealed in heaven. But he'll do his best. He'll take what we give him and he'll say, based on what you've done, <laughs> this is the absolute best thing I can do right now. And it will be the absolute best thing because that's what he wants for all of us. But um, yeah, I want to close here with this one thing, one guy said something about this. Oh, G. Campbell Morgan. He said, there's a danger in weeping. The backward look, which discounts present activity, is always a peril. Regrets over the past, which paralyze work in the present, are always wrong. 
Moreover, all such regrets, as in this case, are in danger of blinding your eyes to the true value and significance of what God is doing in the here and now. And so in this case, the old timers can't see, you know, oh, by the way, we've got to do this. He sends Haggai to these guys who are crying. Haggai prophesies to them. Check this out. The word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. Go and speak to the governor. No, you didn't know Haggai is friends with Zerubbabel, right? And this is in Haggai chapter two. He says, go talk to them. Talk to Joshua, the high priest, and, and ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I'm with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once again shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I'll shake the nations. And what is desired by all nations, or who is desired, the desired one is Christ, when he appears, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, even though it doesn't look that way to you old timers. And that's what he's saying. Now, little did you know, Haggai went into that situation and said, you guys stop crying. Have a little faith. God's got something planned. And little did anybody know that the Lord of glory would fill a human womb and walk through those very floors that they're laying, that the Son of God would walk. That's glorious, but even more, as I alluded to earlier, when he returns on the foundation that they're crying over because it looks terrible and it's so small and it's just a foundation and the former glory much better. That foundation, that land, God is going to build on top of that something that's going to take everybody's breath away, and it will be the center capital of his coming kingdom where they're standing crying. He says, cheer up. God's got something past your imagination, something good, more than you can ask or think, people. So stop crying, okay? Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you that we walk by faith and not by sight. And you have things for us that no nobody can imagine. We have no idea. This this little foundation of spiritual life with you is gonna come out to be this glorious creation standing before the throne of God, completed and like Christ in a glorious body like his. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.